Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is the Selling Soul Podcast. It's episode number 68. I'm Andrew Millen, and my guest on the show today will be Jason Maloney. Jason is the former editor of Shamrock Rovers fanzine, the Glen Malore Gazette, and he now writes for the Matchday Program. A talented writer, he is also the laziest column at our own publication, more than 90 minutes. He doesn't really know what a deadline is. Terrace Anorak and a football culture connoisseur. He's travelled Europe watching Rovers and Celtic, and has also travelled all over the continent to watch teams like St. Pauli and FC United. He is rumoured to have some smashing times in Glasgow, back in the late 1990s. This episode has been sponsored by Mick Scannell and his partner, Michelle McFarlane. Mick from Dublin, a familiar face over many years on boats, buses and in airports on his way to see Selig home and away. And some of our listeners will know Michelle well from a time working in the Selig ticket office. Mick has been very supportive since we started the podcast and we thank him and Michelle once again for sponsoring the episode and his kind message after last week's podcast, which read... What a song, goosebumps all over my body. What a talented, beautiful, haunting voice from Claire Cunningham. Another fantastic show, Millish. Thanks for the journey you take me on for an hour or so every week. You should be very proud of yourself and your very talented sidekick, Ronan. Love the podcast. Best out there by far. Well, Mick, I don't know what to thank you for first. Sponsoring us are the lovely compliments. Thank you very, very much, Mick, and keep listening. And if you're a static-minded business a Salic Supporters Club or a Salic fan like Mick and Michelle and you like what we're doing with the podcast and across our independent fan media platform and would like to sponsor an episode or become a sponsor in the fanzine please email us at info at or contact us through the website or on social media and if you're a listener a reader or both you can support our independent media platform by also visiting celticfanzine.com where you can become a member subscribe Buy or donate for the price of a pint. And if you're a non-drinker, you can subscribe for the price of a cup of coffee. Your support will help us to continue to produce quality, independent fan journalism, fanzines, podcasts, video content for Celtic Fanzine TV and fan events. And we've been out this week looking at venues and we're very excited about what we have coming up, hopefully later in the year, but definitely early next year. So, folks, keep the comments and the suggestions coming in for the guests you'd like to join us for a chat. We'll reach out to them and hopefully get them on. Here's a few comments we received since last week. 
I listened to your Paul Heaton podcast last Monday. Some great stuff in them. And that comes in from Danny McDonald and Yuri. Hope you're well, Danny. I had a, a wee drink with you recently on the slice. So looking forward to catching up with you again. And best of luck to everybody involved at the Willie Maley fund up there. They're trying to build a statue for Willie Maley. And we'll have some more information on that coming up in the next few weeks. I don't understand this Paul Heaton guy. Everything he's involved in turns to gold. He's an amazing lyricist and a musical genius. But if a reporter tries to tell him, he rejects it and talks about just being in the right place at the right time and how he's just been lucky. How messed up do you have to be not to recognise how talented you are? And that comes in from Hoyt and Laddie, and that came in on our YouTube channel, which has been a slow burn-up, but it's starting to kick off now. And I've just realised where you get the comments on that website, so I have a few more from YouTube. Just found Talk of the Terrace podcast and watched it. Brilliant content and laughs. Have subscribed. And that comes in from Kenny on uh, YouTube, no second name. But Kenny, we're actually back with Talk of the Terrace uh, ne early next week. And Joe Miller is returning to chat to me about his experience on selling away days in Israel because it's it's in the news at the moment. And the last time Joe was there, he went into Palestine and he's going to tell us about the reception he got from the, the local people and what he witnessed and how they live over there and the oppression they are under. Great interview, Andrew. Really enjoyed listening to Peter Hooten. He came across very well. Great stories and memories of music and football in the 80s and the 90s. His strength of feeling and passion for his politics and club resonate with us Celtic diehards. Well done with the pods. And that comes in from Kenny67. Patrick O'Connell, what a great story. I love the way you let people talk. Great interviews. Keep it up, boy. And that comes in from Jane Linehan from Cork, but now living in Japan. Great to hear from you, James, and it was great to chat to you a few weeks ago when Baz introduced me on, on a Zoom call to you. So I hope all is well in the land of the rising sun. And hopefully we'll get over there to do a podcast someday. Baz keeps telling me he's going to line up with that with a double gig with the solution. So who knows what the future holds. A fantastic story. Great walk by Fergus. And that comes in from Charlie Tully Jr. And Charlie, if you're listening, I'm reaching out to you. I'd like you to come on the podcast and talk about the late Grey. Charlie Tully Senior your father that would be wonderful to get you on so please get in contact love the play out tune by Claire Cunningham like I was in Tony Ratton in Sunderland and here's one that came in um, from when we put the poem Aaron Scott Brown poem out and it's not even a football fan and this got me greeting a beautiful tribute to a man I can't help but admire and that comes in and there's no name with that but it was just a comment that was left on YouTube so thanks very much and I'm, I'm glad that we have non-football fans looking in at the YouTube channel and listening to the podcast so folks keep them comments coming in and thanks for listening and reading Scott Brown played his final game as a Celtic player at Celtic Park on Wednesday evening and Celtic fans got the opportunity to pay tribute to Scott by dropping off flags, banners and jerseys to the stadium. And I'm sure Scott appreciated it, but I thought the impact got lost in between those joint corporate sponsorship banners. And it's a shame that the Green Brigade's solidarity display of Palestine was removed. It just goes to show how far removed those running our club, yes, our club, are from the average Celtic fan on the street. And also from the historical links of why our club exists and why it was founded and who founded it. It's been welcome this season to see players at Celtic Park and indeed throughout the football world take the knee in solidarity with the Black Lives Matters movement and also highlighting racism. But UEFA don't seem to think that Palestinian lives matter. 
And on Thursday, Scott Brown sat down with some of the Celtic fan media sites and podcasts, and we sent our very own Erin Boyle along to have a little chat with Scott. And here's how she got on. Erin Boyle. Hi, Scott. Erin uh, Boyle, more than 90 minutes. First of all... singing yesterday? Singing? No, I was... Uh, did you see William. my wee poem? Oh, yes, thanks. I've seen it. Did you like it? Uh, yes, much appreciated. Thank you uh, very much. Thank you very much, Scott. I really appreciate that. Um, I would just like to say a big thank you from the More Than 90 Minutes team and also from the Cano Foundation as well uh, for being a fantastic servant as a charity patron. So thank you very much from both teams and also from 10,000 kids as well. So thank yeah, you. No problem whatsoever. Uh, my question is, um, over the years, you have graced a number of our More Than 90 Minutes covers. And if we also have a time machine on our Celtic Soul podcast. So if you could jump into that time machine and travel back in time, what memory or moment or game would you relive and why? Um, I think it would probably be the double treble. I think because everyone expected us to not go and do it again. And for the bunch of lads and how hard we worked, we done the first treble, Invincible. We went 69 games undefeated. And then we ended up getting beat 4-0 for Hearts. But I, I think the that game, to go back into the air, to to relive that would be incredible because the occasion, getting on the bus, coming back down London Road as well, and seeing all the fans. And uh, I've seen people jumping on top of police cars and police fans and celebrating with flags and everything. And it was those occasions that, I'm going to live with and I'm going to cherish for the rest of my life because it's those special memories and especially when so many people write you off saying you've done the treble that'll be you and then we go and we keep pushing and we keep pushing and you do double treble and then quadruple and it's just we keep pushing boundaries as, as far as we possibly could and that's what these lads wanted to do they've worked so hard over the years and I know we had a, a slight year off but uh, it's been fantastic it's been a great journey and I've enjoyed every single moment of it but I think that one would be the one that I'd love to go back just to, sh to show everybody how well we've done and that we can do it again and that they kept kept supporting us and kept having the faith in us as well. Thank you so much Scott and also don't don't be shy uh, to Kino events we would love to have you back and yeah, good luck good luck at Aberdeen uh, but of course as long as it's not against Celtic. <laughs> not a problem whatsoever thank you very much much appreciated uh, was, wasn't it brilliant that Scott heard the poem and we're going to play out with that poem Bruni at the end of the show if football teams were people then Jason Maloney would marry Shamrock Rovers but he'd also keep Celtic as his mistress and he would enjoy the occasional fling on football weekends around Europe on his many travels over many years I would describe Jason as a terrace anorak who enjoys the whole football experience, not just the 90 minutes on the terrace. He's also the former editor of the Shamrock Rovers fanzine, the Glen Malore Gazette. Hi Jason, you're very welcome to the Celtic Soul podcast. How are you after your bout of COVID-19? And what would you like to say to the conspiracy theorists out there? The only guest we've had on the podcast who told us he had COVID was Paul Heaton. So you're in good company. And if I can quote you from social media, before you tell us how it affected you, I didn't know if it was Pancake Tuesday or Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, Grant, cheers. Thanks for having us, uh, Millis Grant. I've been following some um, elite company on this year, the likes of Paul Heaton and uh, Peter Hilton, but glad to be asked. Yeah, the, the COVID is, yeah, it was 
was one of those like God, you know, you, you know yourself. The vast majority of people that get it, it just kind of pass through them very quickly. You know, any real symptoms or real sickness, but geez, it hit me hard. Um, I think what happened to me, they diagnosed that I had diabetes, which they hadn't done before. And so when the COVID hit, the diabetes was kind of sport into action. For want of a better word, and it kind of knocked me back for six. So yeah, I was pretty sick for about yeah six or seven days in, in the hospital before. Yeah, and I was hospitalized and. But I'm getting there now, you know, just still out of work. I'll be back to work the next week or two. So it's probably two months since my last day in work before I get back. But as for those conspiracy theorists, my God, them people, Jesus. I'd love to see them or go. I wouldn't have been able to go hold them. I was that week in, in, in the hospital that time. But I was actually thinking about them definitely while I was lying. I couldn't get the head off the pillow. It's real. Believe me, folks, it's definitely real. Yeah, I, I've spoken to a few mates that have had it and, and they've, they've all said the same. Terrible experience. And some of them, Jay, real, real healthy people and knock the bollocks out of them, basically. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's, you know, it's one of them things. It's hard to explain to people sometimes when you have, you know, it just the, the, the bouts of fatigue and just having no energy. All of one minute you're all right, the next minute you're not. It's been exact yourself. So it's kind of hard to explain. I was going to ring the boss and explain to him, you know, while he was still out, he was going to have thinking, oh, you're now a hospital. That's it. When you're back to work, kind of thing. Had to explain it, kind of. It's a little bit worse than that. But we're getting there, thankfully. Ah, uh, good, and I still, as a, as a quote you there, I laughed when you were telling people that you were you had COVID. The the pancake Tuesday, Sheffield Wednesday, just made me smile. Even even in sickness, you were you were giving us a laugh. Yeah, it was a line ahead. I think it was a, it was a mate of mine, follows Clifford Darren Anderson. I think he used him when we were in Cyprus a few years ago watching Roberts. And as the poor time he used him himself, but I'll give him credit for that line. <laughs> That's how I definitely felt that day in the ward anyway. Yeah, I, I definitely used him himself when we're in Europe. You know, Tuesday, Wednesday night's Champions League. I've, I've been that soldier. Oh, probably, yeah. It's a good one. It's a good one. You know, plenty, plenty of points and, and, and a dodgy kebab can, can make the difference between a Tuesday and a Wednesday. Barely can. I've been that soldier myself many times. Finish. Listen, Jay, yeah, I mentioned uh, your mistress, Celtic. So let's start there. You know, we couldn't get over to see them live this season. You know, it's been a painful watch this season on, on TV. Nobody seems to have any answers. So where do you think it all went wrong? It just went from disaster to disaster. We look, we were hoping, you know, there were a couple of setbacks at the start. Obviously, the COVID thing and then balling goalie and then a couple of matches cancelled and then there was kind of panic set through or uh, if the Horns win their few games in hand there'll be 10 points clear early days and we are taught that could be a problem but then we actually I think we had to start to see we won them few games in hand and it was you know there was no gap then but little did we know what was going to happen when you look back in this season I still you know at the time when it was happening and you know we lost up the form around October November and we were falling behind and you know the question marks about Lennon were starting to you know to be raised by, by everyone and, and quite feasibly you know, I always think, ah, there's something really wrong there and it's all, it'll all come out eventually. It'll all come out in the wash. We'll find out what happened. But just thinking, I don't think we're ever going to find out. You know, it's just one of those seasons. Absolutely remarkable for all the wrong reasons. Like, you know, nobody could have, you know, it's probably been said a million times on the, on this podcast and in, in written word and on Celtic forums and blog, etc. Nobody could have envisioned how bad the season would, would, would have happened. You know, somebody said to you at the start, the start of the season that, the, the league would be over, like practically over by Christmas, but, you know, literally over in March, you would have said, stop out of that. That's never going to happen, you know, but just things just start going wrong. And then obviously, you know, when, when we a little bit of hope, we got a bit of form before Christmas brought sorrow and tumble in the team. And then the whole Dubai thing hit again and then having to play 11 second team players virtually in two home games that we only drew and that just knocked us back. That, that put pay to any, any challenge we had then after Christmas. Just a total disaster of the season where, and that could go wrong, did go wrong, you know. 
madness. Yeah, and it's like the COVID vaccine here, Jay, with the Celtic support being so divided. People started to raise eyebrows early European form. And, you know, that, that's when people started to question Lennon in the job. Uh, and then that would, that grew as the season grew and the fans became more divided. I'm not saying people were in or out of the Lennon camp, but maybe some of the actions, you know, some of the older fans were saying bed sheets and banners isn't the way to go. You know, this is the way to go. And everyone has their own opinion how, you know, how you address um, stuff at the club. But as I said, like the COVID-19, you know, a few weeks ago there, we had nurses fighting with teachers, teachers fighting with childcare workers. All, all good cases to get the vaccine forced because they're, you know, they're in the front line, as they say. But the government are delighted when they're all fighting because it takes the attention off them. And it's the same. The people who run Celtic seem happy that, you know, the different associations aren't united. The trust are out doing their thing. You know, the ultra groups are there. They're doing their thing. And then individual fans and some of the bigger supporters are doing their thing. So it seems to be they're happy that there's no collective of everybody together pushing for change at the club. Yeah, obviously the Celtic support is just such a broad church, you know, and it's huge. And a lot of people follow Celtic for, you know, different reasons that you might support. You know, especially in Ireland, if you follow a man, you know, in Liverpool, you're following them for football reasons or someone brought you a game. But Celtic, we all know, it's kind of, there's an emotional attachment there. And this is where a lot, a lot of, you know, a lot of fans would, would be like that, you know, and you'd call them maybe the faithful true and true brigade. And there are a lot of fans like that that can see no wrong in, no wrong in Celtic or what the club do. But it was seen back at the Celtic for change time, you know, sometimes radical action is needed, you know, or, you know, some kind of protest is needed to get, you know, to get this, get this up and running, to, you know, to make people aware that what was going on with the club was wrong. Like the Lennon situation should have been, should have been probably resolved November, December at the very latest. But in saying that, and I said that at the time, if they had to relieve him of his duties then, they probably would have just put Kennedy in then anyway, because it just seemed very apparent that there was, there was no plan B. Did nobody kind of lined up? And I think that was obviously, as I mentioned a few, a few minutes beforehand, we're all taken aback at how quickly the demise was and how quickly the season was, you know, was petering out. So they had nobody lined up. They had nothing. You know, they expected Lennon to stay there. We'd win 10 in a row and he'd go off into the sunset. Peter Law would go and that everybody would be happy days. The 10 in a row was achieved. But it didn't quite work that way, you know. And obviously, yeah, they, they kind of, you know, they do use that all successive Celtic boards over the years. You know, they've used that emotional attachment, known that there would be a certain section of support that, you know, that would, that, a fair play, they, they are there, they're loyal supporters and, you know, they, they, they do stay, you know, Loyal to the club and are, and I want to criticize the club, you know, without real foundation that they would think. And the same with Lennon, I suppose. Lennon's career as a player and a manager did deserve him, you know, some kind of, you know, support from, from, from the broader support. But it came to a stage there, you know, that we all knew, you know, it was just getting crazy match after match, poor result after poor result after poor performance. And there was no action being taken with Lennon, you know, and that was the most frustrating bit, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, it's it's kind of Lenny, as you say, as a player and a, as a manager. You know, his, his CV speaks for itself. You know, it's like it's like the old boxer that doesn't know when his time is up, and, and it's the same at Lawwell. It's a long, long time to be a CEO of any company, and football clubs are a little different. And it, it just everything kind of went stale. And if rumours had to be believed, there was too much influence from suits and not enough influence from tracksuits. Yeah, that seems to be the way. Like the influence that um, Lawwell has the club, like 
you know, we don't even know. We don't know the ins about how, how much it is. Well, it's become apparent how much it was, like, you know, and how much is Desmond giving him a free role to run the club. And obviously that comes back to, you know, years ago when you talked about, you know, you could judge a manager, obviously on his performances, but on his recruitment, you know, and the players he brings in. But there's question marks at Celtic. Who was signing the players? Did Lennon want Paracas? Did he want the Jetty? You know, did he want these players? And was he happy just to throw the party line? He was in there in the city as a manager. He was getting paid a good wage, managing the club that, he's, that he professes, that obviously that he loves. And he's been there, you know. Like, so it's hard really to, well, I think Lowell overall is to blame. Lennon definitely was let us down with some of the, you know, the tactics and the performances this year. But the inaction from the board, you know, particularly Lowell and, you know, we don't, we don't know much influence Desmond has on Lowell. You know, is he telling Lowell what to do and give him the free reign? So initially for me, the, you know, you'd portion the blame with, with Lennon, definitely the manager, you know, the players shouldn't perform from, but always goes back to the manager. But with Celtic, you know, as he went through the month of November, December, January, you know, the inaction of the board makes them wholly culpable, you know, in my opinion. Yeah, and I wrote an article in the fanzine, Jay, about Lowell's time at the club and, you know, his CV speaks itself as well. Very successful time. And a time maybe when, you know, we were downgrading from the budget that Martin O'Neill had. And the gap since then, like the gap between us and, and teams down south is massive. You know, when you think, you know, Martin O'Neill left Leicester to come to Celtic, whereas Brendan Rodgers left Celtic to go to Leicester. So the, the gap is, you know, especially financially, it is massive now. And it's going to be so hard for the new manager. You look, the only one that seems to be in talks with the club is Eddie Howe. And if this is true, it's the, it's the longest talks ever. Of a, you know, like this, if he's been in talks, he should have been, he should have been in earlier because, as you said, if Lennon went in November or December, it looked like Kennedy was coming in. The Kennedy project hasn't worked. We haven't improved. Some will argue that we've come backwards or, or we've just stayed static. So if Eddie Howe comes in or if it's another manager, the longer we wait to come in because with the Champions League campaign, it could be another kind of Gordon Strachan with the Amelia Bratislava because he's going to have to have a magic wand because we're in we're in the, the qualifiers route. We're going to be playing champions from countries who are on par with us and have been better in Europe than us in the last couple of seasons. So unless we're really lucky with the draw, I wouldn't be confident of us, us being in Europe after the summer. No, and obviously what we were, um, we've all made... You know, points about over the years about us not being fully prepared for a, for a Champions League campaign beforehand. You know, the lack of signings. You know, it seems the only kind of reacted. You know, if you lost the first leg, you know, the, the going back to the Boyette situation where he kind of went to the street that wasn't sorted, and we hadn't got a centre half. And you know, people say one, 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 a centre half could have made a difference of making the Champions League one or two of those years. So this year, definitely, like this, there's, there's a huge job on for, for whoever comes in, and. But the Eddie Helting, it looks like he is getting, you know, getting the job. Everybody, the sources that seem to be right are all pointing that direction. But they set their style out very good. And I'm just thinking, you know, the word that Eddie Howe would not make his mind up or come to the summer was bandied out there very early. And I'm wondering if the reason for that that we don't know. You know, why was that? And we all told the whole fire. Well, whereas, you know, the logical thing to do was someone to come in six or eight games, maybe longer to go in the season to assess the squad, see who we need, who's Sobers deployments. Talk to the players. See, is Chrissy really want the way? Does Eddie really want the way? Then we know we plan about them. Hopefully, some kind of thing has gone out in the background, on the background of hell. Because if he's coming in just fresh for only a couple of months to, to deal with this, and obviously you have the European Championship this year as well, where it's going to be probably a few Celtic players are probably tied up in that as well. You know, 
So that that's probably going to affect um, preparation as well. But it looks like Howe's getting the job. And like again, it's going to come back. If Lawler's going, but there's rumours too that he is, Lawler's going to move into a, a kind of less influential role on the board. We don't know about that. But, you know, the director of football is going to be huge. You know, as, as I spoke, you know, earlier, recruitment of football is different these days, you know, beforehand. You could just put, put, put it all down to the manager. Now, Howe has a bit of a, you know, with Bournemouth, the recruitment was a bit up and down. I mean, obviously brought the likes of Callum Wilson uh, Nate and Ake and, you know, Ryan Fraser were good signs to and, and produced the goods for him. But had he spent an awful lot of money on Dodds and Liverpool, the Lucha Man, Solanke and Jordan Noy, I think he paid 15 or 20 million for them too, you know? So again, it's down to who, who, who's going to do recruitment. And obviously he's not going to be in the market for 15 million or 20 million players when, when he's managing the Scottish Premier League team. And that's, that may well be a good thing. But we'll see how he goes. But again, the announcement seems to be imminent, but it really needs to happen ASAP. Yeah, it's funny as well, Jay. Eddie Howe, like, I, I don't get in, you know, involved in these click and base sides. Uh, you know, the, the headlines, anytime a manager comes involved, and the latest was Mourinho when he was cycling Tottenham. And, you know, they're putting out 10 articles a day on who the next manager is. The only firm thing I heard, and, and this is over months, I got, a, I got a, a text one Friday evening of someone who does not, who would never speculate, but, he said to me, look, he says, Eddie Howe's the only one they're talking to. And it looks like they're signing. So I put a bet on, now I'm going to lose me bet because Kennedy beat 10 games in charge, you know. And But when I went back to him a couple of days later and I says, who, who told you, you know? And he, he said, someone close to, within Saturday Park, an ex-player. So I thought, right, he didn't even, he wouldn't say who the player was. But, and yeah, he was the only one. But yet there was fucking pages and pages and pages on on all the websites about you know X, Y, and Z becoming the next manager. I didn't even mention it. I didn't even write about it because I thought you know this could be just you know an ex-player blowing his own trumpet. But it looks like back then he he was the man with the um, in the know and maybe a player, a current player who he had played with. At the club, maybe passed on, passed on to him that that's who was coming in. And if a manager's coming in as well, there's players going to leave. We know that there's players out already. Polish Paddy went to the States without ever making any impact. Duffy's gone back down south. Um, a lot of people blame Duffy, but you can't single out one player in this season. And but then as well, you know, probably the most influential player over the last decade at the club has been Scott Brown. And he leaves now for a, for a, a coaching role, which, which makes me wonder, you know, if Eddie Howe's coming in, he must be bringing in his own coaching team because Peter was picking, well, allegedly Peter was picking the dugout for Lennon. Tommy Johnson had said that Lennon wanted him involved and Peter had, had knocked it back. So that's the he's the only one that's come out and said that they didn't want Tommy involved with the club and he's kind of a he's a well sought after in football Martin O'Neill took him to Forest that time with him and he was the deal breaker when Henrik was meant to go to South End because he he, he opted to go to Blackpool so with the likes of Brown leaving you're hoping that the manager does come in with a, a backroom team that he trusts yeah I'd imagine that would be more, that would be definitely going to happen like I think Hale probably won't be short of offers in, in England either, you know, and that was obviously the fear. If we were throwing all our eggs into one basket, you know, I, I can't see that happening. And then at the last minute, Spores or a Newcastle or a Crystal Palace come in for hell. And then we're, le- we're left there, you know, with no plan B. Now, it wouldn't surprise you itself to a certain extent, but surely they're they have to get some kind of guarantee or, you know, 
pre-contracts or something like that from Howe, you know. And like I said, a man of his stature that, that, that could have a pick of a few clubs, he's not going to accept surely, like, you know, that a, a backroom team, which is very unusual anyway in football, that someone else would pick his background team for him. Wherever about who's going to be, if there is going to be a, a technical director or a director of football, which may be chosen by the club, which is probably common practice, definitely, you know, he will need to, you know, he will, he will bring in his own backroom staff and work with people that he knows. Will have a new director of football or sporting director or whatever they're called now, which has to, he has to have a link there as well. Yeah, well, that, that seems to be what some people are saying. Again, you know, everybody everybody knows things on Twitter apparently, but that uh, was kind of one of the sticker points, do you reckon? Who, who was going to be denominated um, director of football? You know, who was going to be, was it someone that had a relationship with, with um, Hell beforehand? Or it was someone that Celtic had, had pinpointed beforehand. Like, you know, Celtic could have been down the road of going for a technical director, you know, while Lennon was still there. And, you know, they could, you know, for, for the future before Hale was even mentioned. And the guy at City, I think Fergal Harkin, I think that's his name, he was muted a few times as well. So you wouldn't know the way Celtic operate if they had to be down the line working with him and couldn't have promised him the job. We just don't know, you know. Yeah, and I think that's the frustrating thing. And, and hopefully now, you know, we're recording this podcast on Thursday, and uh, hopefully when it goes out on Friday, that Celtic going and then someone else. <laughs> I mean, I'm begging our face, Jay. And I'm sure, I'm sure you can react to that minute. Just a quick, <laughs> put a quick one out, quick video out. Stop the press. <laughs> now, and listen, we mentioned Scott Brown now. You know, one of the most influential players over the last decade at the club. Moments of madness eh, in his career and, and, and a lot of sentence off and stuff like that when he when he stood in Neymar, but you know, he's really been he's really been there at the heart of that midfield and the heart of the team and you know, pushed us on. And some great memories from him. We look only look back to last season when, when we beat uh, Lazio in Rome and uh, you know, when Scott Brown won the league at Rugby Park and there's just he must have so many memories to take away. What do you, what do you make of Scott and his contribution? Well, if you're, if, you're, if you're having this conversation about Scott Brown, I'll have to be perfectly honest, before Brendan Rodgers got the job, probably a, def- a bit different type of conversation, to be honest with you. I'll have to say I wasn't a huge Scott Brown fan. Like a lot of people, you know, I think certainly Brendan Rodgers transformed him and, you know, whatever role he gave him, he's been, he was outstanding for those two and a half, three years and even after, after Rodgers left, you know, he was the best player in Scotland consistently. I think he won it one year. The one thing, even though I said I, I didn't, I didn't rate the highly, and when his performance went, went top, top class under, under Doyle, even, you know, and I think people, there was those question marks about the fitness of the squad at that point. But the one game where I think, um, where I seen Brown from a different light was when Ireland were playing Scotland in those European Championship games, particularly the one at, at Celtic Park. I was watching Scott Brown as an opposition fan for the, for the first time, really, you know, before you hark back to his time, my Abe's, whatever. But watching him play for Scotland against Ireland, I kind of noticed and seen the job he did. He was harassing people. He was getting stuck in. He was driving the Scottish team forward. And the first time I said to myself, Jesus, this is what this is what this guy's about. And I wonder the opposition fans don't like him, you know. So I was getting that kind of view of him as an opposition fan for the first time. And then, as I said, since since Rogers has come in, he's just gone off the charts. He's been absolutely outstanding. He's just a, a leader. You know, if you want to pick a leader or just pinpoint or give the characteristics of a leader or any football team or any walk of life. Just look at Brown. I mentioned Lennon there because Lennon did make a statement about him, about everybody, everybody in the dressing room respecting so much, you know. Um, and like I think he's been in this the Scottish player, player of the year team, I think six years. He's won player of the year award. He's lifted what? what is it? God knows how many trophies he's lifted for Celtic, you know. It's, it's a 32 or 30, a huge amount of trophies that are 
you know, he will go down as a few people there um, are still kind of <laughs> don't rate him as highly as they should. But you can't just argue with with with, with his contribution to Celtic. And you know, I hope he gets a great send off tonight. Obviously, again, there's a pity there's not going to be a crowd there. And I wonder will we get a few people turning up, you know, outside the park like you do when there's a new manager announcer, a new signing. He deserves some kind of send off. He's absolutely been brilliant for Celtic. And obviously he's gone away now to land the coaching game with Aberdeen, so I don't think too many people will be surprised if we see Scott Brown back in the Celtic dugout or back on, you know, in Lennox Town uh, any time in the future. Yeah, Jay, he's 24 winners medals ourselves in Cup and Leagues or Celtic. It's, 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 it's an amazing haul. He would have got 22 down another three years, but yeah, no, it's absolutely brilliant. It's unbelievable. You, you, as I said, you're, you're, I, I describe you as a terrorist anorak. For a footballer to win one, one major medal in, in, in his, in his career is, is brilliant. But to have that hall of medals and we've been spoiled, Jay, because a couple of weeks ago there with Jackie meeting on, on the podcast and Jackie had seen the first nine in a row before he emigrated to Canada. And he'd also been to a European final and I always said to him, I never would have thought that I would get to a European final or see Celtic doing nine in a row. It's just been, uh, you know, when you think back to the, to, to the 90s, when it was just, you know, everything, everything that could go wrong went wrong. It was like, you know, it was like this season, only for, you know, we couldn't see the light until until Fergus came in and, and the cells would change, you know, the fan group. So it's, it's been a good time to be a Celtic fan with, with the exception of this year, which has just gone tits up. Yeah, well, with success and continued success becomes expectancy as well. That's why kind of the... So I think the way the season went actually kind of, it kind of petered out so quickly that the disappointment wasn't just, you know, thrust upon us and it was just gradual. Whereas if you'd, if you'd have lost the league, imagine if you lost a 10 in a row on the last day of the season, you know, you'd be good, good at that. But it's been just, just shocking. And obviously you, you, you go back to the 90s there then and I think it was all those years of the 90s that, that, we, that we spoke about going over there when we're points behind them, you know, we're finishing behind Motherwell in, in the league, we're not qualifying for Europe in one season. You know, it's days like that, you know, and I think it was, just, it was a season league holder then a couple of Jordan that time, you know, for a couple of those years, definitely the season in Hamden, or the season ticket and the year after with Fergus, uh, when we rebuilt Celtic Park. But, you know, all those bad days, you know, they do make you appreciate. I know it's a cliche in football but when, when the good times come around. I always been back to, to one night and it's been said a few times just the night we lost the cup semi-final to, to the Horns in, um, in Hamden. And we were in the open end in Hamden. The roof hadn't been built on the Celtic end at that time. And it was absolutely lashing rain. They went down to 10 men and they beat us 1-0. McCoy scored. And it was just horrific. It was one of the most horrific memories. We, and we had to get the boat back to Ting. I remember we, we had to travel home that night and we were absolutely all just soaked in the skin. And we had to travel back two and a half hours or whatever back to Stranraer wait around, get the ferry back there, and you're getting back to Dublin at six o'clock in the morning. Some lads went to work, some went back to bed. It was just a miserable, miserable time. You know, if you said to some of the lads on that, as you got off that bus soaking wet, you know, on that day, I think it was 91, and told them Celtic would be winning nine in a row, and we'd be playing in the European final uh, with 80,000 Celtic fans travelling to Seville, they would have said, get a bit of a bad man. But that's, that's football, isn't it? Yeah, it's funny, the lows, I, I remember coming out of Seville, and, and the first person I met was Mark Borg, and he was, uh, he was, he was, he was abusing some border fans. He was, and it's not like Mark, you know, you wouldn't obviously see Mark just there, but he was just oh. so frustrated at, at the, the diving and the antics of, of, of the border players. And 
I also think back, Jay, to, you know, there's, there's been, been some great times under Martin O'Neill. It was just competing with the fucking best teams in Europe. And as we said, the, the European final. But there was lows as well. I remember leaving Mullowell on the bus, heading for the ferry. And one thing you could always look forward on, that was after we after we lost the league, just, just got McDonald's goals. And I remember getting onto the boat. And you always look forward to having a point on the boat when you get off the bus. And it was a, it was a dry boat because the Huns had wrecked the boat the week before and they wouldn't serve us drink. So that was definitely the longest bus trip I think I've witnessed, even longer than the Cumbra Town UEFA Cup game, which was, I think, 27 hours over and back in the... In, in the it was, I'd like to say the same day, but it, was, it ended up getting into two days. But there's been some great times on the buses, Jay, um, as well. Like you must have some uh, great memories of, of, of buses to Glasgow and, and, and elsewhere. Hey, it was great trips in Park. Obviously, all their buses left at four o'clock in the morning. You know, we left on, I think, in the start, we used to pick up your crowd up on the way in the league, you know, and, and draw the, you know, leaving at four in the morning, you get back about 12 o'clock, you know, it was just a, some of the lads would go out to the night before as well, or sometimes even the Rovers could be playing on the Friday, the Friday night, you go to that few points. What was the point in going home? You go to a nightclub and then getting on the bus at four. And you wouldn't, sometimes you wouldn't be, a lot of times the lads again, we got, we get to Glasgow at 12, a few points, they welcome in. And then you go the match, and then a few lads be washed for wear, you know. There wouldn't be would, would probably more than one occasion where lads fell asleep at the match, you know, after after being out the night before, and then doing it all on the way back. We you mentioned twenty seven hours there to, to that game of Wales. I've done a couple of longer trips than that with the to Europe with the, with the Gallagher Travel Club, you know, Danny Mullen and Dave Hughes, Spud Hughes, who were on that trip, and a couple of legs. Gone go, go to Milan on that, you know, gone to Milan and Barcelona. And again, disappointments in some of them games as well. Remember drawing one all, you know, with a very good Barcelona. We, 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 uh, I mean, we were drawing one all and uh, the Jordi Alba scored in the last win or two minutes ago to beat us 2-1. And then you've all that travel back. You're sick of results like that, you know. But even then we were half competitive. But some some stories in those on those trips, you know, you travelled 40 hours and just, and just getting there. I remember we went to um, Milan the, for the Milan trips. I think it was two at AC Milan and one with Inter. That we, we stayed in Lake Como. And, you know, Lake Como was a bit of a picturesque tourist spot, you know, beautiful place, picture, and built into a hotel just right on, on, on the lake near uh, the Oibus. And all these tourists are there sitting outside at Fresco having their meals. The next minute, <laughs> coach the whole Celtic fans after being on a bus for 27 hours, just roll <laughs> off the bus <laughs> and the sight, I'm looking at them, but the sight to be old, you know, that screaming, Chucky Allard, and, and the tourists just saying, what the hell is that? Well, the good crack in them trips, I tell you, definitely. The way back is just, oh, going over is grand because you're looking forward to the game and that. But when you're 25, 30 hour bus journey on the way home, it's kind of, oh my God. And the thing about that, the ferry on those trips is only about an hour and a half. You're only doing like over to Calais and it's the shortest part of the trip almost. You know what I mean? The rest of the time, you're just sitting on the bus. Obviously, they yeah. went dry buses. <laughs> and your good, your good friend, uh, Jerry Brady, is still flying the flag on them buses. Oh, he hates planes. He hates planes. He loves, yeah. he do that. And yeah, he loves them buses. He'd rather go on a bus anywhere, you know, Croatia around 40 hours, I think it was. He'd do that rather than get a plane. Suits him better. I think the last time I seen him on a bus, I think it was Ren last year in, in the Europa League. I'm almost sure we walked up from, there was a, there was a, a march up from the city and it was great because the, the Ren people, it was, it was a real welcoming city. Sunshine now, September. Really, really great day, and we actually played well that night. Should have won. We got a draw, but we're walking up, walking up to the 
to the stadium and having a few beers. And when we got to the stadium, the buses the buses were parked right beside the stadium. And there's good old Jerry with a carrier, the boot open. Help yourself. The legendary legendary figure on a welcome site on a on a hot day in Ren. That'd be Jerry all right. Yeah. <laughs> he'd love all that. Yeah, he, he does that. He'd be harking out for another European trip. He'd probably be looking at flights and all that early as we all do to try and book it early, get a good price. Jerry's just waiting for the bus, you know. Yeah. He knows when you get a, when you get a German or a French team because you know there's going to be a bus to that, you know. Love and it's, br- it's brilliant as well, but like because like the police were cool, we were basically at the turnstiles and they, they were allowing us to have a few bills, you know, because we were attached to the, the buses. And because sometimes, you know, yourself, Jay, you go to some cities and they don't treat you so well. Oh, definitely Spanish. Spanish Italian police will be a different bit different than some of the other ones, yeah. Definitely where they Especially especially uh of you know, Vigo and Valencia away, there was there was definitely battens drawn on, on them games. But anyway, look, you you mentioned Rovers though. A different experience to, to sell it during the lockdown. You know, champions and a club that has been through so much, you know, both success and failure over your lifetime. You know, and the fans will eventually take control of the club. So tell us a little bit about that journey. And then uh, a surprise gentleman enters the fray recently in, in Dermot Desmond. Yeah, uh, we're Rovers, yeah. But I've been following Rovers since I've you know, been at games in the, in the late 70s. My dad brought me as a kid. But really start going in 83, you know, regularly. And we won uh, just good time to start following Rovers. You won the four titles in a row. And, you know, obviously going to Milltown every week was great, great football from that team. And obviously they lost to Milltown, you know, if I go quickly over, obviously Rovers lost Milltown and we were on the road for, for 22 years without having their own home ground and that was difficult. And as you say, you know, we went through real financial difficulty where the club almost went bust. So what was originally called the 400 Club, which is now the Members Club, was actually set up around two t- 2003, you know, and it was set up because the, the move to the ground in Tala had stalled and, you know, the original then backers being there had pulled out and the ground lay idle, even though the foundation had been set up, even for the main stand and the pitch was there on the property. It just lay idle for, you know, for years after years after years. We were talking about moving in there. I remember 97, 98, we thought we'd been there in a couple of years, max, and it was, we didn't actually move until 2009. So the, back to what I said, the members club was actually set up just to have people there put money in to help, you know, contribute to the stadium and get the stadium over the line. Okay. But. That became the least of our worries then when the club went into examinership and went into, you know, almost went bankrupt. You know, we had, we had the women of the George to keep us going and to give the go ahead to pay off the creditors. So luckily that, that club was founded in 2003, uh, because that was used as a kind of financial basis where the judge could see or the financial people would see that there was 400 people contributing a monthly fee for the last two years and there were funds built up and there was a, you know, going concerned that that would, would be, would carry on in the future and give the clubs sort of, you know, some kind of financial stability. So that was, that was, that was brilliant that that was there. So the club was kind of saved. And in 2005, you know, we, we come out on the other side and we had, we're a fans owned club. You know, we're 100% fans owned club. And uh, we obviously were a big chunk from, from Ray Wilson, um, a long time Roberts fan, lifelong Roberts fan who lives in Australia. Yeah. So we were there and, and I said that club, then we moved to Tala and we won the league twice, you know, in, in the Marath twice in the first three seasons in our new ground in Tala and I just remember thinking back about the bad times and you know I remember we, we beat a team in Israel um, to qualify to play against Juventus this was in 2010 I remember we we flew to Israel and we we wouldn't expect to win the game and we won and we, we had to fly back through Turkey we had about 10 hours stop over in Istanbul 
So we went into the, you know, we went into Istanbul, few of us. I remember just sitting there, 45 degrees, sitting in an Irish bar in Istanbul and just looking out and just there was a couple of lads just talking to each other, Mamie Man, who said, we're playing Juventus next week. And we just started laughing because five years ago, the team, how you said, well, we're going bust. We're going out of, you know, we're going out of existence. And just five years later, you're playing against Juventus in a competitive game in European football, you know? Fairy tale stuff, really. Unbelievable, Jay. And now you mentioned, obviously, Dermot, the, the, the Dermot Desmond investment has come. So the way the club is run now, you know, and we still hold 50% of the club as a members club. Uh, Ray Wilson, who I mentioned previously, is 25%. And Dermot Desmond did, did make an investment of 2 million, uh, 2 million euro, uh, which gives him 25% share, him and, and his company, of the club. But now that was, you know, welcome into us, into club for 2 million pound, brilliant, 2 million euro. Uh, a lot of that has been invested in the academy. I think what was attracted Dermot to, to the club, what was the youth academy we have there, the SRS, and then the facilities we have in Roadstone. And he was kind of keen to get involved in that. And he's had an input. Now, the €2 million, Euro, obviously, most will be going towards that, but it's probably, you know, it's probably come at, at, a, at a good time and a bad time, you could say, because it came just before the pandemic and obviously all clubs are struggling, you know, so a lot of that money might have been, you know, filtered away without us seeing the full benefits of it, you know, but obviously that's that's not, some of it has been parked off to help with the, you know, the, the, the continued running of the, and, you know, further establishment of the academy. Yeah, so he is involved. We're also 25% of the club now at the moment, yeah? Yeah, that academy had, had, had Damien Duff, and I know a young lad that was was playing under Duff from Drada. He was travelling up and down early mornings, and Duff had brought something a little different. Um, he was on about the amount of times that you know, a kid touches the ball in, in, in Ireland compared to across the water and, and in Europe, which was a kind of a strange one. But I was, I was talking to the kid's father and he was explaining what, what Duff was on about. And also a young keeper went to, went to, was it Man City went to, he's out in Lone now, played for Ireland recently, the senior team. And yeah. So obviously there's, there's a good youth academy now. And, and that's why you said Dermot's got, has he got involved because does he want Celtic to have first pick of the, the players or has he, got involved because he wants something back for his two million because it's a fan-owned well, club so where does Dermot fit in? Yeah, that was a question we all asked ourselves. We're all saying why is he like, you know, someone like Dermot Desert doesn't throw money away, you know, he's a, he's a billionaire for a reason, we all know that, you know. Um, what we were hearing was he just wants to help out, you know, two million pounds to someone like two million euro to Dermot Desmond is, is it's just a drop in the ocean really, isn't it? But, you know, it was I won't say it's a goodwill gesture. There's no way billionaires throw money for a goodwill gesture. But apparently, like, it was Brendan Rogers who put him onto it. You know, Brendan Rogers came over and, you know, when Rogers played them a couple of friendlies against Celtic when, when Rogers was in charge, uh, he came down to the academy, apparently, Rogers. And he think he even travelled on, on a team bus. Rogers played against Cork away the night before we played Celtic in one of them games. And Rogers actually travelled down with Stephen Bradley on, on the team bus with, with, with Rogers to watch that game. And, and apparently, it was him who kind of, you know, put the idea to Dermot Desmond about what was going on with the academy, you know. Obviously, the, the, then the people think Dermot Desmond involved with Celtic and he's involved with Rovers now. That there could have been a direct link from Celtic to get to get players. I think Celtic will be... I think the way it works out is that Celtic don't get first choice as such. Though Celtic may well be informed about players, you know, coming through. But, you know, if Celtic offered 100 grand for a player and Man City offered 400 grand, you know, he's going to go to Man City, if that makes sense, or any other club, you know. Mizunu, the guy you mentioned there, uh, yeah. Gavin Mizunu, who went to City for 450 grand or 500. I think, I think we got another 100 grand there because he made a cap there for, for Ireland recently, as you mentioned. He was actually with Celtic. He trained with Celtic. And I'm not saying there was no follow-up, but I don't think 
both parties were playing. Well, I don't think presumably there was two players away when the training said that something went wrong there. Anyway, I won't mention, I won't say what it is because I'm not fully sure. But he was certainly on Celtic's radar, and he was over at he was over at Lennox County. He did train with Celtic for for a few nights. But I think he came home early from that trip. So Man City did then definitely got involved, uh, and those other clubs interested in sports. But to answer your question, I think Celtic are you know will be kept well and about any 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 Rovers players. Um, there's a guy that's going to go to Inter Milan, um, Zeffi. He's kind of, he's, he's only played on the field. He scored for the Rovers. He team last year, the youngest player ever to score in the League of Ireland. Celtic were keeping tabs on him as well. But I think he's, he's going to Inter Milan very shortly. So there is definitely, there will be some kind of link there where Celtic will be kept up to speed. But they don't automatically go to Celtic if there's a better deal elsewhere, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's just, um, it's just, I was just, I was just wondering because as you say, you know, billionaires don't throw money around. But again, two million wouldn't be, would be only a drop in the ocean to, for Dermot. Um, but it's like, it's like you, Jay. It's very hard to get two quid off you, you know, towards, towards a bottle of cider at the weekend. <laughs> hopefully, Jay, hopefully. Jay, um, like, as I said in, in your intro there, like, you've been, you've been around the block when it comes to watching football. You've been to CFC United. You're part of Shamrock Rovers. You've seen this week, but more well, a club with real fan power can do when they issued cash refunds or the option of a free season book for next season for those who bought into it this season, you know, and were un- unable to attend any games. Now, the Celtic Trust have offered a, a great uh, incentive to Celtic, you know, which doesn't involve any cash, keeps all the cash in the club because we're going to need cash for the new manager to buy players. And, and, and their initiative was, was, it, was the Celtic shared, Shares proposal. And it hasn't been accepted by the Celtic board as yet, and it doesn't look like it's going to be accepted. It hasn't been universally backed by the Celtic support, even though no other um, proposal has come forward from any other of the supporters' associations or supporters' groups. And and I I just single out two supporters' groups there because they have publicly come out and backed the proposal, and that's both ultra-groups, the boys and the Green Brigade. Are you surprised, Jason, that we're not united as a support behind the trust? Again, because of the, you know, the broad support there, it, it is a brilliant measure. I think it's super. When I heard the force, when I heard Jeanette and Dave Lowe talking about a force, I thought it was a great idea. As again, you know, it's, the club are not going to lose out the, the, the total amount. If they did have to give a refund, you know, for uh, on the season tickets, you know, wherever Motherwell received in season ticket money compared to what Celtic is, you know, you can imagine the differential there. But yes, yeah, a lot of people that, you know, it looks like we'll be in the grounds next year. And a lot of people have been in tough times. Wherever about the groups are, you know, obviously fair play to the other groups for backing it. Where about like the dissociation or other clubs coming out and fully backing it? Individually, like, you know, you can understand the, the odd person that would want, and I know they, they've spoke about that and then they feel it well at ease of that, you know, the Saudi Trust. You know, if you have lost a few quid, Jordan Colby, you're not working full time, you know, and you want, we're going to be back in the grounds next year. Hopefully, you know, that you, you, you probably want that 500 quid you've paid to pay for your season ticket next year, you know. You can kind of understand that bit. But again, Celtic is just so you, you know, to, to get everybody, you know, singing off the same hymn sheet, you know. It, it rarely happens. And you mentioned the two ultra groups there, you know, the boys and and the Green Brigade. If ever, you know, something splits uh, the Celtic apart, it's so many actions from these guys, you know. I never, I really haven't had any issues with any of the, you know, the actions or the banners or the displays or the statements from the Green Brigade or the boys. But obviously, there's a lot of people out there who, you know, who, who don't think it has any place in football, but people who think politics shouldn't be in football, I don't know where they come from, or they have no emotional attachment. Why was Celtic formed? You know, Celtic was formed for a reason as well, you know? 
and we, we can never get away from losing them roots. Okay, Jay, we've we we spoke about the wife, which is Rovers. We spoke about the mistress, which is Celtic. What about sharing some of those European terrace flings with us? Ah, there was, there was some good ones, yeah. Rovers and Celtic, yeah. I remember a good one with Celtic was uh, was actually Martin O'Neill's first first European game would have been in two thousands. And myself, uh, Dirty Brady and Kieran Down. We flew, it was in Luxembourg. I think it was far in Luxembourg. And we went over, we flew over. I think it was the night that reincarnated Bobby Petta. You know, Bobby Petta just, we saw it's only against the Luxembourg team. But he was getting the ball and going by three or four players. But we didn't know then. It was, it was, it was a, you know, a forum for what things we were going to see from Bobby that season. But that was a good trip. He flew over there and he stayed in Luxembourg a couple of nights. Lovely country. And from there, we went actually, we got a train from Luxembourg to Cologne and we started with, with a St. Pauli fan and it was that weekend was the first time I went to see St. Pauli playing it was the first day of the season in Germany I think they were in one of the lower leagues I think it was either the league two or maybe would even below that and it was just an unbelievable experience I went we travelled in to see there was a team called Allen and the ground was kind of like in the middle of the country it's like one of those old League of Ireland grounds you see now Newcastle West or Monaghan's ground kind of in the middle of nowhere or Longford and we went to see St. Pauli and I'd never to this day, I'll always remember, you know, I've been involved with loads of fans and being the ground where fans have got behind teams and, you know, the, you know, the old cliche, the 12th man. But St. Pauli were getting beaten 3-1 in this game. I think it was about 20, 25 minutes to go. And three ends of the ground were St. Pauli fans. This was only a small rule called Allen. And like there must have been three or four thousand St. Pauli fans there. And they just kept up behind the team, behind the team, non-stop, non come on, you boys. And, and you know, all that song. They got back and won the game 5-3 and it was just remarkable. It was one of the best games or one of the biggest influence of what, you know, it's it, it had on me, you know, it stayed with me all over the years. And at the end of the game, the St. Pauli players come down and the usual all holding their hands and putting their hands in the air and the fans reacting. It was absolutely brilliant, you know. It was one of those games where, you know, I've been St. Pauli a few times since, uh, mostly, mostly, actually mostly away. I think I've only seen it play once in Hamburg itself. But me and Jerry used to do these trips. We used to go away regularly. We do, we call it a German football weekend. We do usually late January, late February. And we'd go over to Germany and try and catch three, three games in over the weekend on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So we'd go cracking some of them. There's one I told on, on the other thing, the famous story I said on, on, on a, on a recent podcast and all about it. We went, we, we went, we went to see a team called Duisburg playing away to Kaiserlau. We stayed in Duisburg and it was a four hour bus journey. We came out that morning and we got on the bus. You know, we couldn't believe we found a bus at Duisburg bus. We hadn't planned that with anybody. And we came out of the hotel and there was a bus literally leaving there. So we traveled four hours down on that bus. Um, good supper. I remember drinking hot wine, mulled wine at the match. It was so cold. So it was a four hour bus journey back. And I said to Jer, two of us looked at each other. I knew we were both thinking the same thing. We're walking out of the ground. So I don't fancy this four hour bus journey home. Do you? He says, no, I'll tell you what, we're not due to leave to the hotel in Duisburg for two days. What we'll do is we'll stay here tonight and we'll get a train back tomorrow. Grant. But that was that. Settled. No arguments between the two of us. We've had that. I know that look with Jared all over the years when the boats have the same idea. We're both sitting the same thing. So off we went into the nearest pubs, drinking with all the Kaiser out and fans, you know, in rounds, buying shots, etc. About an hour, an hour and a half later, the doors just burst open and it's just the German police, about seven or eight German police. And they just looked, they're looking up around and they just see me and Jared we obviously did, didn't look too German that they're easy to pick us out and just grabbed the two of us and grabbed us out the door so I'm looking at Brady and saying what's going on here I says what What did you do he said I didn't do that well I said I didn't do that you must have done something so we're sitting there and we're just trolling the back of the police van 
and we're looking at each other, nonplussed, none the wiser. And he drives back down, and he drives back down to the stadium, and it's an hour and a half, and nearly two hours later, I'd say, and the bus that brought us from Duisburg is just sitting there waiting for us. They wouldn't leave before us. So you can imagine the looks you were getting when you got back in that bus. It was cold enough outside, I tell you, but the atmosphere in the bus on the way back was a little bit colder. <laughs> well, I tell you this much, Jim Marvin wouldn't have waited for you. Oh, no, you've only got the one next week. <laughs> the bus back to Belfast to follow me. <laughs> Brilliant, Jay, because I look, I'm, I'm a bit like you. I love, for me, sitting down to watch a game on telly, 90 minutes, it's, it's, yeah, it passes 90 minutes, but it's not the same as the whole match day experience. You know, even the smells around grounds, you know, fried onions and burgers and, you know, smell oh, yeah. stale ale from the pubs and and it did describe it as a as a terrace anorak but it's it's a massive part of your life isn't it ah yes yeah. so we, we've lost out on all that you know it's like it's football is much more than 90 minutes you know definitely you know when you're traveling away with Celtic most of the plane trips now are you can't be you know rovers away trip of a fruit you know you're in work you've your heart day booked you can see that the sun is split the trees you can't wait to get out you know get on the bus and it's, it's far more than that's what we could have missed out this year. You know, I've been lucky enough last year. I was at a lot of Rovers games, you know. I kind of get in there because I write for the program and I mute I do an article for the program about what it was like with no crowd there. So I get in for the game and I was there as a ball boy and as a steward. So we got to a lot of the games last year, a lot of the Rovers home games, you know. It was at the eighth Street Milan match, which is obviously brilliant to be able to get to that. But, you know, some of the lads thought you'd be patronising what saying because they were obviously discussing they, they couldn't go to the games and I was there and I wasn't blow, I wasn't gloating or saying, listen, I'm there, brilliant, but I was just telling them that it's just not the same, you know. You're going in to watch 90 minutes of football, there's no crowds, you're, there's nobody within 100 yards, 200 yards of you, you're not singing chants, you know. You're not having a point before the match or the half time, you're not discussing the half, you're not going out afterwards for a few points to discuss the game with the lads, you're just going home. Like, that's all part of the football experience, you know. And it's it's great, you know, and wherever a level, you know, as you said, I watch FC United, I watch Cliftonville a lot as well. Cliftonville, obviously, the, 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 the Cliftonville support will be kind of drawn from the same place as the Celtic part support will be and will be similar, you know. And I look out to Cliftonville, obviously, it's a lot smaller scale than Celtic. But you get up there and you're made welcome, you know, you know the lads. And there's only a couple of, maybe, you know, maybe a couple of hundred in the social club after the match. The players will come in, you know, the players will come in and then you, then you have a drink with the players afterwards. Then you go out in the town of Belfast, get the bus home. It's great the buses run, you know, through the night from Belfast. You know, you can get a bus home two o'clock, three o'clock, wherever the, the night goes for you. You know, you can do that. And it's all, all, all part of, of the day out. You know, the day is sometimes going to a second day. But football is not about the 90 minutes. And it doesn't matter what level you watch at. You know, football is about, you know, the camaraderie, being with like-minded people, celebrating goals. You know, if, if, if Shamrock Rovers scored a winning goal in the cup final, it means as much to a fan than if, you know, if, if Celtic hit with Henry Larson equalised in 2003 in Seville against Porto, where there was thousands and thousands of Celtic fans there. It's still there. You're a football fan, you know. That's what you go for. It's for those moments, you know, to have us all hooked. And, you know, you, you build up relations with people on bus journeys, on train journeys, you know, staying overnight in some place, you know. This is what football's all about. The 90 minutes of play, are incidental. And of course, you know, sometimes yourself on European trips, the 90 minutes play are, are probably forgotten about because you don't remember them anyway. It's the rest of it that you, you remember. You remember more about the trips and what happened there and on the way back than you do sometimes about the football on the pitch. Yeah, like, and hopefully, Jay, now that the vaccine will become the game changer. 
you know, over the next few months and we'll see fans getting back into stadiums because there's going to be fans at the Euros and there's going to be fans at um, I think the Scottish Cup, the Tottenham fans. So, but that's only one part of it. Getting back into the stadiums is only one part of it. You know what's going to be great, Jay? People getting off social media and WhatsApp groups and getting back into the pub or on the supporters pub bus or if it's, a, if it's a cafe to go to before the games just to sit down and talk with like-minded people uh, that's unbelievable actually just wanted you to say that I've just wrote, I wrote an article obviously you know I write for the Shamrock Rovers programme and I submitted an article just the other night about uh, for the Derry City programme this Saturday uh, Rovers are playing Derry in Tallaght and I actually did mention that what was like WhatsApp groups I says because I kind of find that more because you're not discussing the football besides some of the match you know besides you you're discussing it on a WhatsApp group and, and it's mad to see the way people's opinions change, you know. Like, I always say football fans are probably the most fickle people in the world. And we all are. I've done stupid things, said stupid things to me, like, to be sure, a few minutes later. But on, on the WhatsApp groups, it's grand. When you can see it all, if your team's doing well, they're playing well, everything's rosy again. If you go a goal down, then your opinion of players are changing and you're a little bit more critical. But that's football, you know. We all, we all watch it. But the WhatsApp groups, you know, are, they'll be ticking over and but absolutely nowhere near as good as discussing it with somebody or shouting at somebody that match beside you or sitting down for a point afterwards, as you say, no matter where you'll be, you know, in Glasgow or wherever to discuss it, you know. You, you just love them moments, you know. Even win, lose or draw, you know, it's them moments, you know, we, we love, when you when you get back to it. You know, we've all been in the horrors after a match. I think the, the last one I can remember when I walked into a parkhead and we lost was beaten by the Huns uh, 2-1, you know, the last new year, the last uh, parkhead. I remember walking up to Gallagher after that, you know, and we walked all the way to town to Gallagher and just, we had, we ended up winning the league that year, of course, you know, because um, after that. But the despondency had you left the ground that day, you know, and it looked like the Huns were going to come back that year and win the league. I think they they won the game in hand. They'd have gone two points ahead of us. Obviously, it didn't materialise. But one of them bad moments, we haven't had too many of them over the years, except in the last 10 years. But it was one of them moments where, you know, you really were, you know, it was really despondent and you could, you could feel the moods, thousands and thousands of people, you know, treading up the, up the Gallagher back towards town and, you know, the sombre mood was there. But you're with like-minded people discussing that. You take the good with the bads, you know? Yeah, when when, when Paul Heaton was on, Jay, he, he was just talking in general about, you know, social media. And like he was saying, you know, we need to get down to pub again, you know, because if you say something stupid, someone will tell you to shut up. Yeah, I heard him say that. Yeah, very valid point. It's true, you know. You know, you can waffle on behind it, you know, and that was much shortage you want, especially these guys that have the the hidden profiles on on Twitter, etc. You know, they can waffle on and you know abuse yeah. people, but you know, you know, you're not pulled up on it as you should be. Where Paul's exactly right. Yeah, if you're in a pub or even on a bus, and you say something stupid. You, you won't be they won't be sure of people telling you to shut up yeah and we, we, we still have to enjoy the, the, the live um, gigs of, of the late, the last album but I can imagine the next album I think I think social media and these lockdowns are going to get a double barrel from Paul well, he's had plenty of time to write them anyway <laughs> no excuse yeah talent about writing now, he, we all know how talented Paul Heaton is of a writer but you're not bad out scribbly yourself Jay from your early days in the Glenmore Gazette but you, you've your articles have been too infrequent for my liking for more than 90 minutes. When, when, when are you going to get the old toy around? No one keeps saying that. I was going to really argue. Just, just not being to the games and just, you know, my articles are not kind of, they're not kind of opinion-based articles or they're not, 
you know, how the team is doing. They're more about, again, what we spoke about, the fans' experience and getting to the game and the trips and stuff like that. So it's trying to get, you know, motivated that way. I will go, my minister, as well. I will. Yeah, we'll get back you're to not the only one, like like Scott Crystal and Michael Pringle, lads that would write away days for us. Their thing is the whole fan experience as well. And you're kind of missing them articles. But the only thing is, we've been lucky enough that we have lads that have the great knowledge. Like if you're a terrorist anorak, they're history anoraks and lucky oh, enough. David is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm going, we've something coming up with David now on a regular basis as well. Um, but we're going to do um, kind of a history pod, but a little different because um, he's just, like I'm lucky enough to share some time with Dave and like, he's just be amazed listening to him and like, I've read all his books and that, but his, his knowledge is just like, just these players I've never heard of and you know, he's telling, he's like, and especially, especially on the audio on the podcast when he's telling something, you know, and the way he rolls his words and he, he is that school teacher and you just imagine if you were in, sitting in his classroom when he'd be telling a story, he'd have you, he'd have you like, he'd have your attention. Yeah. If the history of Celtic was on the was on the O level <laughs> curriculum, I think the, the pupils probably get all get A's. Yeah, 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 definitely. But it's funny, like I think now people are, uh, I think kids that go to college now in university can actually start. They can do stuff like that now, whereas before, before you, you could when I went to school, you mentioned football, and it wasn't in PE. You get a slap, you clip on yeah. the back of the head, and uh, and, and, and if it was soccer, Jay. You know, you might get two clips if it was a Gaelic man that was teaching you. Oh, sure, stop. So we weren't allowed, when I went to school in uh, primary school in De La Salle, we weren't allowed to play football in the yard, soccer in the yard, you know, just Gaelic school. You know, we had to use that to sneak tennis balls in <laughs> on the ground. <laughs> we wouldn't let you play football. We used to play with a tennis ball on our lunch break and try and hide it from the brothers. But that's that's the way it was then, yeah. Man, so, um, now listen, I, I always put all my guests on the podcast into the Celtic Soul time machine. So if if Jason Maloney is, is climbing in, you you you've, you've some memories, you know. Um, where does Jason Maloney take us back to? An event I was at, or an event I wasn't at. I would, I would like, maybe you could pick a match that, that uh, I would love to be at. Give us both. Give us both. Give us one you you were at and one one you would like to be at. Well, the one I would like to be at, I was just about to start following Celtic, and it's probably the reason why. Funny enough, and it was only it was only the anniversary just gone by. The third of May was the the five nil game against St. Mirren at Love Street when he won the league, you know, against all expectations. We were miles behind Hearts with a few games to go. I mean, you know, we, we brought the late there. We gradually at the way at their lead before we won the league. But that day seems to be unbelievable. And you hear people talking about it. I know, talk to people like Jason Higgins about it a few times. And what a day that was. And I remember like, there was no, I remember the day and how it was announced. Because obviously there was no, Mobile phones and an old internet together. I remember being in a uh, coming home from town, going towards Dolphins Bar, as one it was. And it was, I jumped off the bus and Liverpool actually won the league that day against, against Chelsea. Can you, and that was live on RTE. I remember just running as the pub trying to get it. And Albert McCready was actually there because he lived in that area and he was on the other end of the pub. And George Hamilton just, and that's how I found out Celtic won the league. George Hamilton just announced, he goes, and, the camera focused on Kenny Dalglish because he scored a winning goal. And Kenny Dalglish has scored a winning goal today and he won't know it now. But his former team have just won the league in Scotland. And I go, what? You know, we didn't know. I didn't know it was 1-0, 2-0, 5-0. I didn't know Hearts were getting beaten. I didn't know Albert Kidd had scored for Dundee once, let alone twice. I remember just looking down at Albert. I just started to know him then. I ran down to the two of us just jumping around. You know, that was like, I would love to hear that day. And, and obviously the football we played and the goal, the famous goal there with the move out, you know, tag with Brian McClare involved and Danny McGrain. So that would have been one. And just fully because of that, as a kind of a start, Following Celtic because because of that game, 
Celtic qualified for the European Cup and Rovers had won the league that year as well. So Rovers actually drew Celtic in the European Cup. So believe it, that was the first time I actually saw Celtic in the competitive game was against Rovers in Milltown. It was the last European game in Milltown. So that's the reason why that, 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 that result meant that Celtic played Rovers Europe and I did get a chance to see Celtic play for the first time. Yeah, so that definitely was what was the one. Um, and the favourite, yeah, again, the month of May, again, another one that just recently went by the anniversary was last week. My favourite game in Scotland ever was definitely the day we stopped the 10th, the, the 9th of May, 1998. What a day that was from start to finish the weekend. That was just unbelievable, you know. The tension surrounding us for that whole day was just, it's hard to, to explain. I know we went to a lot of games that year. Probably did around 40 games that year, did a few away games as well, you know. Um, and it was such, such, it was, and it wasn't like now where nearly every game was on TV. So they played a different time than you did. Like the some of the days you both played at the same time and the result was going to get, and you'd hear a cheer in the stadium. They'd gone a goal down. And obviously you come down to the last day of the season. I just remember being in the welcome in before the match and just, the tension, someone put you never walk alone in the jukebox. And it was a real sunny day and people were outside the pub and the pub was packed. And you could just feel, we'd be all saying you never walk alone a million times on buses and stadiums around Europe at European Nights and Parkhead. But this was in, in, in the, you know, in the pub to welcome in. It just, it was, you know, hairs in the back of your next book. It was just unbelievable. And then to carry on into the ground and then obviously you scored early enough. You think that would have eased our nerves it actually didn't you know your man George O'Boyle almost scored for them and then until Harold Bradback scored that second goal then just the, the sheer relief you could just feel it in the stadium it wasn't even joy or delight just the relief that came out and then the night then the time we actually went to see um, it was the plans we went, went to the Cladder Club beside the Queen's Park that night with a great night that night I think it was the plan he played was it was Jaleen played it. anyway it was a brilliant night we had and that was definitely my favourite game you know so the month of May has been good for Celtic Obviously, May is probably a month that's synonymous with winning title, so that's probably why. Yeah, I, I remember that that day and night well. Uh, the Scrumgeon Rangers fan broke a bottle and tried to stick it in my neck that day in broad daylight in the city centre after the match. And I remember that night, but everyone was singing Harold Brad Brad back because it used to be sending back, back, back. Yeah, he was very frustrated. I remember one day Brad back, he scored. I'll never forget. We, I'm not sure what that season or the season after. We beat Kilmarnock 4 0 at Parkhead, and he got four goals. Well, I'm not joking. He should have got 10. He should have got 10 or 12 goals. Like, I'm not, that's not even judge your age. The amount of chances he had that day. It was unbelievable. Yeah, he's a one man I'll never know. Probably the only man ever to be criticized of getting four goals in the match. And another thing you mentioned there, Jay, it's, it's, it's like Harold. It's, it's long gone. The welcome in. Hi, uh, great, great pub. Yeah. Yeah. I think Frank, Frank uh, sadly passed away last year. Yeah. Pub went a few years ago, but that was always there. Our, our, you know, choice. We get off the bus at 12 o'clock and we went doing an overnighter, you know. And then we'd always head there before the match, you know, after travelling through the night and on the ferry, the bus would always leave us there at the Gallagher and we'd rush around to, you know, uh, we'd rush around to the welcome in. Great pub. Used to love going there match days. And the and the old squirrel was an old haunt of, of Nave Park back in the day as well. When was it? Was it was John Lee had it? John Lee, yeah, John Lee McCuller. Yeah, he owned it there. Yeah, we used to go there as well. Yeah, we used to go with John was there. The old brown carpet, you know, if you didn't stick to that brown carpet, there's something wrong. Oh, no, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so good nights in there as well. It's great. Yeah, it's it's doing some, well again. It's some great memories. And just just, just before we finish, Jay, another thing you don't see anymore is uh, when you mentioned, you know, both teams playing at the same time and then the cheer would go up in the stadium. There was always an old boy with a transistor radio and a little earpiece. And he was the one that was given the, he was listening to the other game and he was the one that was given, given the, 
the nods and then that's when the children up now everybody has a has a phone they can check their bets they can change their bets you know, sometimes yeah. people watch their phone at a match more than they watch the game that, that's mad yeah the other you could be even, even the League of Ireland I watch a wrong you're a good one just a quick one Rovers playing years ago I think we were going for the league and Bowser on here is challenger you know it was a Sunday afternoon in Ireland everybody played on Sunday afternoons at that time and you know Bowser were playing and we were going for the league together we were winning down that loan and then one of the lads this one is right and he just jumps up and goes, yes! And we're all, yeah, what happened, what happened? It's still nil all. He says, still nil You know, and said, we thought someone had scored against him. It's still nil all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant stuff. I must get, I must get David Potter to write an article on, you know, what you don't see at football anymore. Yeah, that would definitely be there. Yeah, and obviously it was renowned. The game I mentioned there, Love Street, I think that would have been the most famous. But then it can go wrong sometimes as well. You hear false rumors going around the stadium and people jump up around that are getting false news, you know. That happens as well. You've seen that a few times. False hope. Yeah. Listen, Jay, it's been uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and I'm delighted that you're on the mend from COVID-19 and you'll be returning to work soon and hopefully we'll all be returning to football stadium soon. That's it. That's the hopes. Definitely for, yeah, for... for Obviously, this this year for I'm sure Celtic will have I think we'll have probably have people in with preseason friendlies next year. Definitely, there's things one announced against West Ham. So, how how the likes of that you'll, you'll start to see fans from there and then gradually increase from then on. Fingers yeah. crossed, Milish. Hopefully, hopefully. As I said, Jay, it's been a pleasure. Thanks very much, and don't forget we want you on Target Terrace. No problem, no problem. Just give me a show. Cheers, Milish. Great to see Jason back on the mend after his struggle with the old COVID-19. He is a football encyclopedia. He absolutely loves the game. And I'm looking forward to having him on the talk of the terrace soon. Well, folks, I'm happy to say I had a great bit of news this week. There was something hanging over my head and it's now gone. And I can get back now to getting the fans in together. So I'm looking forward to getting more than 90 minutes. The last issue of the season now. The full band are back together. And we definitely will have that out now in the next week or two. If you haven't picked up issue 114, we still have a couple of the print copies left and it's also available in Digifarma if you would like to purchase a copy. As always, I have to thank Ronald McQuillan for producing the show. Quality job as always, Ronald. Thank you very much. And if you like what we're doing and you would like to support us, you can do so by visiting CelticFanzine.com where you can become a member, you can subscribe, you can buy a fanzine or a t-shirt or a bit of merchandise and you can donate for the price of a pint or the price of a cup of coffee. Don't forget to check out our website for some excellent articles on long reads. We have some great stuff coming up next week. Please download all our app. It's free and you'll have access to all the podcasts, articles, daily news, video, upcoming events, the fanzine and our online shop. All at the touch of a button on your phone or tablet. And all episodes of the podcast are now available across all platforms. So please hit the subscribe or follow button so you'll never miss an episode and you'll get alerted when one drops out. Because... We have more now than just the Celtic Soul podcast. We've got the Talk of the Terrace. Celtic AM shows are now available on the podcast platforms. And we've also a couple of bonus podcasts coming up next week. So listen out for them. On Celtic Fanzine TV, Dan's been busy walking away with me. And we have another Talk of the Terrace with Average Joe Miller on maybe Tuesday night. And again, I'll remind us that we'll be talking about Palestine and Joe's time over there when he went over to see Celtic playing. And we'll also have David Potter joining us later in the week for a new history podcast 
where we will be discussing Celtic's cult heroes over the decades. And he should know a thing or two because he actually wrote the book on Celtic cult heroes. Well, he wrote most books on Celtic, didn't he? So, folks, get on social media. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. And all the details will be in the podcast description. And if your business, Celtic Supporters Club, Rich Uncle, Rich Auntie, like Celtic and like the podcast and would like to become a sponsor, please email us at info at And as always, you can contact us through the website, message us on social media. And we really appreciate the support. And once again, folks, if you enjoy the podcast, we don't have a Patreon, we don't have a paywall. But if you can support us, you can do so by donating a fiver or whatever you can afford. So once again, thank you very much to everyone has, who has donated or sponsored us over the, the season. And if you want to listen to some more, I suppose, for a listening and you've enjoyed the chat with Jason, can I recommend a couple of other podcasts we had with Celtic fans who would have travelled with Jason on some of those buses over the years? Episode 36, we had Kieran Kenny. Episode 39, the famous Adrian Hilly Herman. And episode 47, another famous man, we had Mark Bork on the show. All fans with great stories to tell. It's Hibs on Saturday. I always enjoy Easter Road and the trip to Edinburgh for our away days. Wasn't to be this season. However, I am hopeful of returning next season and I'm looking forward to getting back over to Glasgow, Edinburgh and throughout Scotland and even the odd trip to Europe because I've just got word that I'm getting my first vaccine next week. So looking forward to that. And apparently I'll have my second one within four weeks. So then I'm ready to go, folks, I think. The season's over. But we will continue to produce quality content across all our platforms till the pubs open in June. And then we're going to take a few weeks off because we want to have a few beers, a bite to eat, and we want to support the local economy. So, folks, thanks for listening all season. Thanks for supporting us. Stay safe. Keep the faith. And we play out with the very, very talented Erin Boyle and her poetic tribute to Scott Brown entitled Bruni. Best of luck, Scott Brown. We will miss you. But... We will move on and don't come back and haunt us when you're with Aberdeen. Iconic, invincible, irreplaceable. Celtic's number eight. A signing of fate came good times, the glory days, home and away. Easy. <laughs> no battling whatsoever. I think the scoreline talks itself. It was now versus boys at the end of the day. He says. With Joey Barton in his back pocket. The look in his eyes, he's piling on the agony and putting it on in style. He's taunting the city with that look. He's got them shook, bent free in their heads. He's got 11 men trembling, 60,000 are assembling. It's a war when Brown's on the pitch. He's got an itch for silverware. There's fire in the air as he tears down midfield and green and white. The opposition shields and he fights. An invincible treble. A double treble, a treble treble, a quadruple treble and nine in a row for the second time. And we know that our heroes gone by and our loved ones in the sky. We'll be looking down in paradise with tears in their eyes. The ghosts of the jungle will be singing his name game after game. And we'll tell our grandlings about the times that we've had. Our captain, leader, legends through the good times and the bad. Ten 
thousand canal kids with big dreams and tears in their eyes in section 115, I'm going to be the next Scott Brown, I hear them say. I'm going to play at Paradise. A canal patron and a soulful man, giving his time to fans in the stands. We thank you, Bruni. We'll try and hold back the tears, but just know that your legacy will live on throughout the years. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.